0: Welcome to the Admin Admin Podcast, a podcast for IT professionals. This is episode 80. Hi, I'm Jerry.
1: I'm John. And I'm Stuart. In this episode, we talk to Stuart about monitoring with Prometheus and mesh networks with Nebula.
0: And we also talk about smart and configuration management. So without further ado, let's get on with the show.
1: Well then. We seem to have lost an owl. Uh, he's off doing uh, various bits and pieces that have uh, cropped up in his personal life. So we're recording this episode without him, sadly. But we have got the fantastic Stuart. Um, Stuart's one of our loyal cadre of listeners. I don't know if that's the right pronunciation, but we'll, it'll do for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of our one of our loyal listeners who's joined us um, live from the Telegram channel, which uh, obviously you should be uh, should be members of. So, Stu, um do you want to introduce yourself a little bit, and we'll uh, then we'll get started.
2: Uh yeah, so I am Stuart. I am a DevOps engineer currently for a VoIP provider in the Midlands of the UK. Um before my previous role I was um a service provider network engineer for the better part of about ten years. So I've got a bit of background in terms of networking and DevOps and that kind of thing, but also very heavy on the lake side as well. So yes.
1: And we, well, you're in, you're in good hands here tonight then, okay. cause, uh, cause you pretty much just described, just described most of what my job is and, uh, and a fair chunk of what, what Jerry's job is as well. <laughs> so that's,
0: that's right. Yeah.
1: In fact, if anything, it's probably the wind, the windows guy that we need to, uh, to just offset things a little bit, but never mind. <laughs> so Stuart, we, uh, we asked you to come and join us on this podcast cause you, uh, we were talking about a few bits and pieces in the, in the telegram channel and uh, a few subjects came up and, and you were quite knowledgeable about them. Short of me going back and, and digging into, uh, into telegram. Do you remember any of those subjects that you, you wanted to talk to us about, or shall we just talk wildly around the subject of DevOps until something crops up?
2: Well, I think there was a push towards talking about Prometheus, I believe. So um, yes. Yeah. So Um, I suppose there's a bit of an explanation. Um, Prometheus is a monitoring system that is quite popular in the DevOps space nowadays. Um, It's it's not like your Nagios or similar tools where it's based upon a script or something like that being sent and an output being done, that kind of thing. It's more based upon metrics and stats and what you can gain from that. It's came out of SoundCloud um, by some ex Googlers who basically wanted to recreate a Google monitoring system again. And um, it uses something called a time series database to store its data. And so rather than just um, either in a log file, or text file, it stores in something where you get a... The data that's stored is a... So it with labels on, so it can have something to say... It's on a certain host, it's come from a certain place, it's for a certain application. And let's say it's uh, pulling data from a network switch, it could tell you what interface is on. Um, And then the other part of it is a value called a um, a counter, or it could be a gauge. Um, These are the main ones, and those are your... Um, basically everything that's returned is numbers. So rather than getting text back, you will only ever get a number back in terms of the value um, that the monitoring system provides. So you said it's, it's not like
1: your previous monitoring systems. Yes, those who have been involved in sort of the, the network or um, infrastructure monitoring space for a few years will be well aware of products like Nagios and, uh, Zabbix and things like that yes the main thing that I seem to be getting from what you're saying at the moment is that it's it's about how you're storing the data in the Zabbixes and Nagioses, or maybe in the CA or spectrum place sorts of things you might you might be used to things being just tracked as up down kind of things whereas Prometheus seems to be more about kind of longer term alive statuses or things like that is that is that a fair thing to say or
2: uh yes so um because it has a retention of metrics rather than just um so so in the nagios world you get a more often than not um by default you get a five minute check um, so it's something that checks every five minutes, Prometheus tends to check more often, and then stores what um, the output was. And as I say, it's uh, it's metrics rather than just a generic output. So. You could get back something that is um, just a number to say, this is something at this time. So I don't know, as an example, um, if you're pulling back from NGINX, how many um, 200s, um, sorry, HTTP code 200s have come back. It would potentially say something like um, a total of 2000 has come back for this endpoint. You could also um, get something back, which is called a gauge. Which, um, that rather than, um, just showing you the amount that has happened, it shows you the amount at a certain time. So it could be higher, it could be lower than last time. So, um, yeah, it's, you get, you tend to get more trending out of, um, the monitor rather than just a state that is right now and then what it was like five minutes ago, what it was like 10 minutes ago. Um, you tend to get a consistent state at all times so you know what is happening right now rather than having to wait for the next check to happen. So how does it compare against things like um,
1: things that people might have seen in the past, like RRD and things like that? Is it, is it more kind of akin to that kind of way of looking at things? Or is that just, um, am I just following a,
2: a blind path, you know, head headlong? Um, it's, it's similar in some ways. Yeah, I mean, RRD is, um, yeah, it's have obviously been around quite a while now and it um, stores the actual graphs themselves. Prometheus itself doesn't store the graphs. It stores the data um, in a database, although the UI of Prometheus does have a graphing engine. So you can do some quick qu- quick checks on graphs to see what the status is. However, it won't actually have the graph itself. You tend to have to use something like Rufana, um connect it to Prometheus to actually display the information. Prometheus more of, uh, is more of the data storage um, and also the endpoints it needs to talk to. Um, and then you can also use a side project called Alert Manager um, to create your alerts from um, your metrics that have been stored as well.
0: It's kind of an interesting architectural um decision or I don't think it was a decision but just, or just the way the project grew up but um, it, it has things like um, so you got Prometheus itself which does the polling of the endpoints and the time series database but um, this alert manager I think there's another separate kind of a service that runs for SNMP if you want to do that and so this is kind of a Unix philosophy type thing it follows uh, lots lots of small small jobs that do, small processes that do one thing. Yeah. Rather than, uh, if you look at Nagios, it's just like it's this massive thing that does everything. It does it reasonably well, but it it doesn't mean it doesn't scale well and there's other things like that.
2: Yeah, which is one of the problems um, that we've been finding at um, my current job is just the scalability of Nagios once you go past I suppose it's not actually Nagios itself, but it's more the configuration managing that. And um, it's not very dynamic in nature. You've got to um, update the actual config files themselves. And they're done in a very on um, un- say not automatable format, but it does take some doing. I mean, Earlier this year when I built, um, in our staging environment, I built uh, Nagios basically from scratch via salt. So if we did ever lose the box, it would rebuild it. And that took the better part of three, four months to build all the um, config files and making sure we have got every single use case in there um, and every single little caveat of uh, th- this host might be slightly different from the others Therefore, it needs a slightly different kind of check. And yeah, it, it, it took months to get that right. Whereas something like Prometheus, um, yeah, it's it's very small. The binary isn't very big. There is not a lot to it in terms of um, it being a massive monolith. It is basically the storage of the data, the polling of the data, and also you've got a language that you can query the data, it's called PromQL, which is, um, yeah, it's it's not entirely like sql syntax but it does have some similarities so you could can, can do some basic querying in it and joins and things like that to get some actual useful data out of it
0: yeah so one thing i also wanted to cover is this um scraping the endpoints which you kind of uh, alluded to but in so from what i small amount of stuff i've done with prometheus um you basically you have to run uh something called an exporter on the thing that you want to monitor uh, and then that presents basically a, an api to the prometheus server which goes which can then go and scrape the the values uh, and the time that the values were scraped and so on stick that in its database
2: yeah i mean i mean there's a huge amount of exporters one of the main ones is node exporter is it's you can almost look at it as like a node agent that just um runs on pretty much everything out there. So you it can pick up CPU, memory, um disk space, um, all or them kind of standard metrics. But you've got exporters from everything from um I mean I've got one running on Plex right now on my home server, but you can and for Nextcloud, but also you can have it for MySQL, Postgres, um, Nginx, um and there's a few um Applications out there that are actually starting to export metrics um, directly without the use of exporter in the Prometheus format. So I'm currently using um, traffic for um, reverse proxy into Docker containers in my um, home network, and that actually exposes the metrics natively rather than using an exporter. But it's currently more the exception rather than the norm. Uh, there's, a, there's a few, like C Advisor is another one. Um, Google's C Advisor, it, it pulls um, metrics for containers and it's a bit like an exporter but also not it's a lot of it's come out of um, kubernetes where they built C advisor to pull metrics from the containers themselves but you can use it without kubernetes and it's it's almost like a uh, just a metric endpoint for any containers you're running and as i say it exposes them natively rather than being an exporter itself really.
0: I mean, I've got uh, uh, something with a REST API that I would like to get into Prometheus format or or something that Prometheus can make sense of. And I was looking at um, writing a bit of Python to basically transform the data from one format to another.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of exporters are built like that. As I said, like, um, I was got one for Nextcloud, and that is basically taking the XML monitoring API and just more or less just transforming it into the Prometheus metrics um, format instead. And th- there's a lot of them that do that, like Libvirt for um, KVM virtualization does a very similar thing, polls, the metrics, um, endpoint that's internal to KVM and uh, outputs it in the format that Prometheus expects
0: what things are you using prometheus for you saying you're uh, looking into at work what is there any kind of use cases you can discuss that you've done at work
2: uh yes so we are in the process of moving to kubernetes as our container platform right now it's mostly using um ecs on aws which is pretty much just um, some managed virtual machines that run docker on it and you can run containers but it doesn't do um, anything that kubernetes does like the whole automatic scheduling um, doesn't do anything like um, the automatic load balancing that you can use with certain um, applications that you can add to kubernetes kubernetes um, works very well with prometheus and a lot of the Ways that Kubernetes exposes its metrics is very similar to the way Prometheus would expect them, um, in terms of just the approach um, that they use, and so it's a very easy translation for them to go from Kubernetes-style metrics to um, Prometheus-formatted ones. So that's one of the main places we're looking for it, but. A lot of applications nowadays are... Um, sorry, a lot of vendors nowadays are creating their own exporters. Um, for example, Pekona, um, who do a lot with MySQL and MariaDB, uh, they've already released their own exporter and their own dashboards, and we've started to test that as well. Um, so Kubernetes is probably the big one for us, but it's more than likely going to end up replacing our Nagios setup at the moment because... I went for all the alerts and uh, checks that we have, and I'd say 80 to 90% of them could be covered with about three or four different
0: exporters. Yeah, you have to, I I guess in Nagios, you have to define a host. If you want to monitor a host, you have to define it in the configuration, and then you have to start monitoring it, and then that host might go away. You know, in the sort of cloud world, a host probably could go away as part of the auto-scaling or something like that. And and it's just not flexible enough to to follow that that kind of infrastructure fluidity or whatever. You yeah, call it.
2: and and it's it's things like Nagios's frequency of checks. If you if you ramp it up too much, all of a sudden the Nagios boxes just become unstable because they can't handle that many checks that quickly. Whereas because Prometheus is basically just polling an HTTP endpoint for text. Um, it can do it a lot better than, you know, something sending off and expecting a script to run and w- and come back. Or, um, as we found recently, it doing some of the SNMP checks on the Linux box when it was running locally, it actually... Um, caused all of the checks to not be able to run because it just took up all CPU using something like SNMP walk and that was killing our monitoring. Whereas um, somebody just talking to an exporter that can do it, it's it's of no problem to it. It can do it quite quickly and it, it doesn't slow the boxes down at all.
0: It's just a different way, uh, paradigm, I suppose, a way of looking at things.
2: Exactly, yeah. I mean, there is a lot I like about Nakios and I've been using it for a number of years in many different places, but um, yeah, it's it's not as dynamic as it needs to be for um, our use case now. So Prometheus is more than likely the way we're going to go for pretty much everything, if not everything.
1: Changing tracks slightly, so you clearly picked Prometheus for a reason prometheus isn't the only kind of horse in the in that particular game was there any reason that you went for prometheus versus anything else or was it a decision that
2: was made by someone else um it was more than anything um momentum in the industry behind it um because things like say influx db aren't quite as popular with um the the kubernetes kind of thing which is where our first use use case was going to be with a um, it seemed to be the way, way to look, um, and as I say, given the weight of the industry seems to be pushing almost everything towards Prometheus, um, nowadays anyway, it's, it was also, um, not wanting to get left behind, I guess, in a sense. And yeah, as I say, cause it was going to be used at work as well. I, it's where I started to start, um, started trying to train myself on it a bit at home as well and get myself more into it. So. You said
1: you've used stuff like Nagios in the past. You're using Prometheus now. Is there anything that Nagios does better than Prometheus that would make you want to specifically choose that versus something else? Or is there nothing really in the two that would make – is Prometheus hands down better at everything? I guess is probably where I'm going with that question. The
2: good thing with Nagios is it's very flexible, so – you know, making your own custom checks is a lot easier because you can do something as simple as a bash, a bash script or it can be, you know, a full application that does the checks. Whereas something like Prometheus, you are... Having to deal with APIs, having to deal with stuff that's down at a lower level, which if you're not used to that kind of thing, it might actually um, be a bit more involved. However, as I say, because of the amount of exporters that are out there, you may never have to code anything of your own anyway. Most, um, most applications will have an exporter for them. I've, I don't think I've found one yet where I've been searching where I've gone, oh, an exporter doesn't exist. Some of them have been around, um, for a couple of years without any updates um, but sometimes uh, they've got enough that you need anyway but yeah i as say in terms of the things we would struggle with there are quite a few custom checks that have been put together over the years um, at my current workplace that we will be able to move them over but it is going to take some more doing rather than just your standard cpu and memory checks for example um so i think I think it's just the effort to move is more than anything if If you start in Greenfield, I would probably start with Prometheus, whereas if it's moving from one to the other, it might almost make sense to keep one behind um for the custom stuff because the effort required to rewrite everything may not be worth it and may take more time um than it they're actually going to benefit from it. That's really interesting, unless there's anything
1: else that you can think of, Jerry. Um, I think we've probably we've done well, unless there's anything specific that I've missed in in Prometheus. I think you've you've actually done a really conc- really concise, well covered explanation of it's Prometheus. Al- it's
0: there. almost like you've looked into it and researched
1: it. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Hang on, what's he doing on our podcast? <laughs> yeah. That's not right. We're supposed to just waffle about rubbish. <laughs> unless, as I said, unless there's anything else that you want to know specifically, Jerry.
0: No, I mean, like like you say, it's concise and and uh, <laughs> to the point, and I feel like I could uh, go and install. Well, I have installed it, but I haven't got very, very far with it.
1: Obviously, we're missing Al tonight. Um, but Al did actually ask us a couple of questions specifically as we're talking about monitoring. Um, we've mentioned. Prometheus. So we've mentioned monitoring on the Telegram channel, a bit in the past, and Al specifically is looking for some guidance with this, and and I figured, seen as seen as we've got somebody that knows knows their stuff about about monitoring, particularly in the Linux world. I'd ask you Al's question. So what he said is, I currently have emails sent to me every day from various Linux boxes via email. The tasks are things like backup scripts of web servers, asking jobs, etc. They normally run on Crodden jobs with an output sent to, to send via email. So he gets about eight or nine emails a day. But if there's a problem or he doesn't get an email, he doesn't bother looking at them as he gets too many emails. And he said, because he can't see the wood between the trees he's asking if there's a better way of monitoring these via log files or something like, is there a way to check log files, but only send an email if something fails or if the job doesn't
2: run? Yeah. So the, the two things I'd first think of is, um, it's, it's another Prometheus thing, but in the node exporter, there's something called a text file collector and it can pick up from a directory, um, just basically text files that are in them that have metrics that are written in the Prometheus format. Um, there is a few utilities out there. Um, one of them is, I can't remember the name of it. I'll, I'll have to find it out. But it is basically something that runs a cron job but puts the output status in a uh, Prometheus format and saves that into a text file. When Prometheus then runs its pull from the node exporter, it will also pull the metrics along with it. And as part of that, it can also see the freshness of the checks as well. So it can say, if these checks weren't there it, for the past day, if you set it up like that, then it needs to alert on that, or at least say that um, something has failed there. So you c- you'll get a cron job status, you'll get a cron and also the output of the task, which I've used for things like, um apt um, updates on my servers I will get it to check to see whether there's any security updates available if there is it will go and find them if there isn't then um, it just the output status is zero packages to find if we're talking something like a a Nagios style check um, which was basically running a script of itself um, you could just get um, something like NRP running to do a remote check at which point that does a check from the Nagios central server to the server that you're talking to and that will run an arbitrary script and that script can say whether something has run or not. It can check the time date. you just innocent, you know, sort of like a bash script could say if this um, cron job has run in the past day, then output um, okay, otherwise output warning. And if it's not run at all, um, it's critical. And if you're, Ability to talk to NRPE on the server itself fails, then or, you know that the server's failed completely as well. So it's more of a rather than waiting for the server to tell the monitoring that it's um, available, the actual monitoring asks the server whether it's run or not. How about you, Jerry? Anything that's springing out at you?
0: I guess instead of sending an email, unless the email contains any other information uh, about whether it passed or failed, we'll write a different text file. In, in case of each status. So the job ran OK or the, or the job failed. And then, so in the... i had not really knowing too much about Prometheus. I would say the exporter it checks for the existence of the file or the name of the file or something, and then alerts if it's in the not expected state. And uh, like you are saying, Stuart, with NRP just run that, check the status of that file, and then that way you get an alert when when the thing actually fails uh, through Nagios or whatever, rather than via an email.
1: So, I think the only thing that I would do. So, obviously, I am not I'm look, not looking at it from Prometheus background because I've not not really used that at all. Um, the only other thing that I would look at doing is using something like Monit to run the tasks because that will send you a, an alert if it has, sorry, it'll send you an alert if, if a job fails to run. You can also do things with, if you're running a bash script, you can have the bash script sent, have a trigger. So if it fail if it hops or something like that, it can send, it can do something off off the back of that. So I'm thinking more about kind of moving the focus away from the monitoring side of things and more actually back to the script you're trying to run. So like um, Jerry said, uh, if you have it writing a script to a particular path or a log file to a particular path, you can then only have it send an email if that log file is there or if the script has failed to run or if the exit code is a particular number. You could also change the Subject of the email, depending on whether your output status is a succeed or a fail or something like that. So you're only looking for the succeed for the failures, and you can just note the fact that the the succeed has come in. But Yeah, I, I, it's it's kind of a tricky thing to look at generally because if if a task if a task fails to run, uh, so astute listeners from the past may notice that I've I've actually. I'm involved in another podcast as well, uh, which is all programmatically generated. And that generates a new show every morning. So I've been in exactly the same boat. You, you you get an email every day saying, you know, the show's run, the show's run. The day that you don't look is typically the one day that the show's failed to run. So I actually struggle with the same issue myself. But I've not, I've not had enough problems with it to actually look into solving the problem. So I guess that's uh, kind of bad on my part.
0: It's an interesting thing. Al describes it, what what he's describing is alert fatigue. So you're getting alerts for everything, uh, and then so you don't bother looking at them. So, but you only really want to get an alert when something's broken. A bit of advice someone gave to me is just monitor the the sort of highest level thing, and if the highest level thing goes down, you know, get it to call you or 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 uh, text you or whatever. And actually get your attention, but otherwise, don't have any other alerts. Get you know making it, making it to to you if you're not sitting there at a the computer.
1: <laughs> no, it's sensible. That's a sensible thing to look at.
0: And then have have other monitoring, but you only need to look at that when when the shit hits the fan, as or as I say. <laughs> so you know when when you need to start looking at metrics and analyzing things. The data's all there, but you don't need to really alert on much other than the really high level stuff.
1: No, it's a really good, really good suggestion that. So that's Al's first question. Al also asks another question. He says, I'm looking at setting up a NAS with MergeFS and SnapRaid. In my Windows world, normally the manufacturer would provide a tool which alerts you if you have a failing disk in a server, or you can monitor the event viewer for smart errors. As my NAS is going to have a plain standard SATA disk, what's the best way to monitor and be alerted on a failing disk? So I have actually done something very similar to this, uh, except mine was not so much uh, a NAS as uh, just a A large collection of USB hard drives attached to a small computer. And actually, uh, I've mentioned Monit before. Um, Monit actually does have uh, a way of querying smart data, which I will try and dig out a post about uh, for the show notes. But is there anything else that, that you guys have come across that would do something similar?
2: At my current workplace, we use, um, slightly custom Nagios checks to do this at the moment, but it's using things like, um, the mega CLI for mega raid, um, and that kind of thing. But I think smart CTL will get you very similar statistics out of it. And again, going back to the Prometheus thing, um, the, I found recently a a repository of example, text file collector checks, and some of them are scripts, like ones that will check smart errors, or as I was mentioning before about um, apt updates, and it will um, place them in the text file collector directory for the node exporter to pick up. It's one thing that I've found missing from Prometheus actually is, or at least the node exporter itself, it doesn't natively pick up the smart errors. I think because there's that much difference between um, different implementations, be hard for it to um, actually actually pick up every single one. So it's, again, it's done with a custom script that would um, generate the metrics in a Prometheus-based format, and then it would pick up by the Node Exporters text file collector again. So those would be my ideas.
0: I mean, I'm guessing there's something in, for instance, Python which will basically be a library to make you a Prometheus exporter <laughs> uh, without knowing Python that well, or or having look for that kind of thing, but you could do something like query the smart array and have it just have a, have a bit of uh, software that turns that into a, a nice exporter for you. <laughs> That's the kind of thing, you know, then you do your smart CTL and just grab the output and stick it into a format that Prometheus would understand or then do it that way. Maybe. Yeah. Al talks about NAS. Um, I mean, to me, that could mean uh, just a a box of discs rather than a a self-built NAS. And in that in that case, you're looking at whatever the NAS offers in terms of monitoring. Sometimes they have SNMP. I I mean, if if it's not a a sort of Linux PC, then the, the options tend to be quite limited.
2: Thinking if using something like FreeNAS, you might get a bit more out of it, or something that's ZFS based, um, you might get more out of it. But yeah, um, I think in the Linux world, it is definitely a pick the tool based upon what your um, array is at that point. So I must say that the, the
1: tools he's mentioned, MergeFS and SnapRaid, I've, I've never come across those myself before. So I, I wouldn't know where to start looking. But I mean, like you mentioned, SmartCTL absolutely will run will export a series of bits of data and then it's just it's just a matter of consuming those into whatever your logging system is. The fact that Al's already mentioning he's getting alert fatigue from you know his, his cron jobs and stuff means that he's he's probably not really going to want to get more alerts from smart stuff unless he's actually got a failure there so it's a tricky one, tricky one all around really
0: I, I guess that's the thing with monitoring is knowing what to monitor when to monitor it and you know what to monitor really <laughs> as well.
1: well. We had a similar conversation with uh, with Lucy when uh, when she was on talking about her her various bits and pieces of monitoring and you know the important question that she came of that was with what do you actually want to know about if it's if it's telling you about RAM utilization through the ceiling but you've got processes that are using that much RAM it's not it's not an unexpected thing to be monitoring for. I have to dig out the uh, the link to that show with Lucy as well. It's not in the list of show topics, but, uh, seeing as we've, we've exhausted Al's questions as well. I mentioned in our Telegram channel a little while back about a mesh VPN product from, uh, Slack called Nebula. And I've been doing some, some tests around the edges with that. But, uh, when I was describing it, Stuart, you actually mentioned that it sounded a lot like, uh, zero tier. I've not had any, exp- if I start off by explaining what, what, uh, nebula is, and then Stuart, would you be able to explain a little bit about zero tier, and and we'll see if uh, see if the two subjects kind of trigger anything else whilst we're talking about it.
2: Well, th- this is where I have to say that it's mostly out of knowledge of it existing that I know about zero tier. I've never actually used it myself. So it's more, more I looked into it at one point. And just thought, oh, that looks interesting. When he was mentioning Nebula, I thought that sounds very similar to this, that zero tier thing. But as I say, I've not actually used it myself. Kind of understand what it's doing, but yeah, that's about it. In that case then, I will just go on a, on a brief
1: monologue about the two products. <laughs> The two products then. So, um, Nebula is a meshed VPN product. And, uh, anyone that's used to using tools like IPsec or point to point, uh, VPN products like, um, the formerly Juniper, now Pulse Secure SSL VPN or, um, Cisco's AnyConnect or, well, there's a handful of these products, but they basically do, uh, what they call a star network, which is where all of your nodes around the, the outside edge of your VP of your, your network all connect into a central hub of, of your network. And that's typically, you know, one, two, three or four nodes, uh, sometimes split across sites for data center disaster recovery situations or just to make sure that you haven't got single points of failure. Uh but typically, what this means is that all of your network traffic are going through a single point in your network or a small number of points in your network, which means any problems you have with bandwidth, any problems you have with throughput they're all they're all constraints on your network traffic. One of the things that nebula does that makes it different from these sort of hub and spoke or star top topology vpNs is that it actually connects. Lots all the points in your network to each other, and the way that it does that is it uses it still has this this sort of central contact point that it talks to. Uh, In Nebula's terminology, they use they use the phrase lighthouse for that. So each of your nodes contacts the lighthouse, and a lighthouse has got a list of all the other nodes that have contacted that lighthouse. So if I've got a client and a server machine that want to talk to each other both of those nodes talk to the lighthouse the lighthouse builds up a list of the peers that it's got connected to it the ip addresses that are associated to it and then when the client says it wants to talk to the server uh, the lighthouse returns with um, the public ip address and the port that that process is running on so it can talk from client to server and it actually doesn't go via the, the the lighthouse at all
0: it sounds a bit like ARP, though. I know it's a different level of the network, but it does sound like ARP.
1: Yeah, it kind of is, actually, uh, now that you mention it. I was liking it more to having a torrent file, a torrent seed file. Oh, yeah, file. yeah. Because, effectively, the, the two principles are very similar. Um, that Because it's a mesh network, you're actually producing a peer-to-peer connection. And what you have is a central point that understands where all the rest of them are and that's your seed effectively or if you're not used to torrent files which may or may not be the case you might be more familiar with things like Skype uh, that had like a super node that all of the nodes went to go to speak to to find out which other network nodes were on the network so that this kind of nap punching I think they call it nap bursting principles have been around for decades by now One of the things that Nebula does that is quite unusual, although having said that, having looked a bit at zero tier, I can see some parallels there, is that when you create a node in the Nebula environment, what you actually do is you create a certificate for it. There's a certificate authority that you're supposed to keep either offline or heavily protected, and all of your nodes' certificates are signed by that CA server when that ca server signs the certificate it actually appends to it a list of groups uh, so what this then means is that you can then define on the node like a firewall policy for that node very similar to the way that you would define a firewall policy in security groups so you've got no you've got a default deny rule and anything that is in your list of firewall policies is effectively an implicit accept statement so Uh, if you wanted to let SSH traffic arrive at your node, you have to explicitly say, I want to allow SSH traffic, or I want to allow all traffic from a particular node or a particular group. So when I mentioned before about having a client and a server, what you might want to do is have your clients all be able to talk to the servers. The servers will be able to talk to each other, but none of the servers be able to initiate a connection back to the clients so you'd have a firewall policy that says something like on the clients it would say uh, client to talk to server any allow and then on the servers you'd have an inbound connection for client can talk to servers and you can have servers can talk to servers Uh, but you then wouldn't have uh, a server can initiate a connection to a to a client, it's all it's all quite quite clever from that perspective. It comes with uh, inbuilt Prometheus and Grafana support, which is quite cool. There's a an SSH server service that will run on the box as well uh that you can connect to it if you've used open vpn which has got like a command line interface that you can you can work you can connect to it and you know query it for stats and stuff like that it's very similar to that although i must admit i didn't spend a lot of time looking at what the ssh client the ssh service does but i just thought it was really really a smart way to approach the problem
0: sounds interesting it's, it, it sounds like a bit of an overlay so well, it, you know, effectively a peer-to-peer VPN.
1: That's that's exactly what it is. Yeah.
0: They're kind of overlaid on, on the existing network. I suppose that's VPNs are, are anyway, aren't they?
2: Yeah. The whole lighthouse concept reminds me a little bit of um, Cisco's DMVPN in the can't remember which version of it is. So I think it might be version three or something where the hub actually tells the spokes to speak to each other and, and um, form VPNs to each other. But the whole security group um, side of that seemed really nice. I'm quite interested to have a look at it myself, actually. Having spent a f- couple of weeks putting together
1: uh, in my spare time some proof of concept labs. Uh, so actually, I, I wrote a blog post um, which has been published today as we record it um, about Looking at um, the mesh, this this meshed overlay VPN product, and I actually built an Ansible automated Terraform set of scripts to build kind of your whole Nebula network. So I spent quite a lot of time getting into a lot of detail about kind of how Nebula hanged, hangs together. Uh, so my intention was to rebuild the same uh, environment for zero tier. So I I, I transferred all the config for the for setting the the control nodes up and then i went to have a look at what zero tier does around its config files because i thought everything was built into the config files and found that actually zero tier has a centralized web service that you tell the um, zero tier client to go and talk to that to join the network you can run your own web service but ultimately it's all still running as a web service somewhere so that effectively controls your policy for all your machines. And from the looks of things, and I haven't really delved into it properly yet, but I think the firewall policy that's on zero tier is a blanket across network firewall policy. Whereas Nebula is, you know, each node controls its own destiny, so to speak. I know Stuart, you said you've not really looked at zero zero tier yet. Does that ring any bells for you?
2: Or does that, is that not something that you've you've looked at at all? Uh, yeah, as I say, it's not something I've looked too heavily into. It's more just re- reading around the subject a bit more that I've seen about it before. But yeah, fair enough. Then, in that case, then uh,
1: dear listener, uh, check out the show notes, and I will probably be issuing a whole slew of haratas about how badly I'm <laughs> I'm maligning the, uh, the zero tier product. Not that we ever get anything wrong on this show ever. At all. Never.
0: Usually, we get people writing in if if we've said something wrong. Well, that was how I got involved. <laughs> anyway,
1: so I think I think I've pretty much covered everything I was going to talk about. Stuart, I think you've covered everything you wanted to talk yeah. about. Jerry, is there anything that you wanted to mention?
0: I did just want to ask about config management in general. Let's ask you specifically, Stuart. I've been looking at your blog posts uh, as you've been posting. Uh, articles you've been uh, putting them on the Telegram channel, uh, and I've so I checked a few out. And I saw that the last one you did was uh, to do with Salt Stack. Yeah, I had a bit of a job where I actually used Salt Stack. I didn't get that in, into it too far, but uh, are you still using that? Did you did you find it? I mean, what were you what were you using before that? How does it compare? And um, what other uh, config management systems have you used?
2: Yeah, so. My current um, workplace for all of the on-prem servers, we use SaltStack and we're starting to use it for some of the AWS side as well. Um, I decided to start trying at home because I saw a random tweet somewhere of um, someone building a, basically a trans BGP router using only SaltStack and NetBox, an IP address management tool. I just thought. Oh, that looks a bit more interesting than I thought it was because I'd only used it for stuff at work that I was there was either already there or just creating things that were already there. And I thought, oh, let's give it a bit more of a try. I've used Ansible a few years ago, um, went a couple of years without using it, and then started picking up again this year, especially starting to do more with Prometheus and um, managing what Prometheus talks to. But I'm also using SaltStack alongside it because. I find Ansible is very good to get um, quickly set up. I mean, it got to the point within a couple of days of um, picking it back up again that I could start writing very basic Ansible playbooks in in the space of about five minutes to do um, basically know adding packages and adding files, that kind of thing. It's very easy syntax. SaltStack isn't quite as easy to deal with, but because you've almost got the whole templating aspect within the... They call them state files, but if, if you think of them like the playbooks, because you can, you can do templates around the actual, um, tasks that you're running and not just as sections of it, um, it's very powerful in that sense. Plus, um, uh, another thing I've mentioned, um, previously about it is the speed of it because you've got, Um, It's done on an agent basis rather than the agentless side of Ansible. Um, I find it's quicker to make changes with. So... Um, What I'm using it for right now mostly at home is um, I've got a console server running which I use with Prometheus to add services to rather than manually um, updating a config file or regenerating it every time. um, I can add a node to say it has um, the node exporter running on it. It has, for example, the next cloud exporter running it, that kind of thing. And then salt will... um, Add a couple of services into the console directory on each node out there and then just trigger a reload. And then at that point, it, um, it starts to appear in Prometheus and it's salt that is driving that because I find salt, as I say, quicker urge uh, and in, um, in its response for, you know, things like Ansible because it's based upon how long it takes to connect to a device, if I'm making changes on my VPS, for example, because the latency will take a bit more, whereas if it's only telling the... um, It's called a minion, but it's basically the agent. If you're telling the agent to go off and do it, the agent um, isn't uh, based upon the latency of sending stuff across. It's doing it itself. So I find SaltStack quicker, but a lot harder to um, create the states in the first place of what you want to do what once you get into it it's just you know it it, it's a case of which syntax you prefer but because of using it a lot at work um i'm used to the syntax but i still do like ansible for a lot of stuff so i don't think i'm going to choose one or the other it's going to be using both uh, based upon the use case really
0: did you ever use puppet or chef
2: I've never um used Chef. Um I briefly used Puppet um but only um in trying to get the Foreman working at a previous workplace and it was more that the Foreman almost expects um every node that it um Pixie boots to um install Puppet on it and start managing it that way so I didn't get very heavy into it but yeah it's from what I've looked into, the syntax, stuff like Puppet, um, SaltStack's definitely a lot easier to deal with at that point. But yeah, I say Ansible's, as far as I'm concerned, probably the easiest to get started with and the easiest to actually get the power out of configure management.
0: Sure, yeah. Uh, it's, it's almost like it's plain English.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: I still credit Ansible with teaching me about lots of programming concepts as well. So yeah, so there's it's kind of an easy way in, yeah. Uh, um, the, my, the experience I had with SaltStack. I mean, do you know any? Do you know Python, or can can you program in Python?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call myself much of a developer. Um, although I did for about three months last year, and then moved to a company doing DevOps. and went, you know, I'm definitely not a developer, but um, but yeah, I can do do some decent stuff in Python. So when I was looking at SaltStack, I went, yeah, actually, I can see how this is doing it in the back end because it's basically exposing it um, in how you use it. So
0: yeah and the other thing was you you can generate a variable you can say this is a variable but you can do it in a loop so you can say here's a list of things and this other in this other variable is is this list you know looping over this list of things and creating another data structure out of it which uh, you can't really do that in uh i suppose you could do it but um it seems to be more of a a pattern in Salt in sort stack i've found Yeah, I mean,
2: as I was mentioning about the console stuff, it's exactly how um, I say per host, this is the list of um, uh, exporters that are running on the node. It's basically, it's just one small task, but it's generated per node um, based upon the pillar data, which is essentially your um, um, host-specific variables. And I can say, this one has these exporters, this one has these, but just use the same task to generate them every time.
1: Right, so I think, I think, this may actually be one of our shortest episodes ever. Must be Al. Must all be Al's <laughs> He must be the one that waffles too much. Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure having you with us. Thank you. You've been consistently an exceptional light in our Telegram channel, and you always come out with, with some absolute diamonds of, of knowledge. So thank you very, very much for being here. I just don't know where to... to I don't know how to stop talking. I <laughs> to, to, to stop saying how amazingly grateful I am you've been here. Thank you. It would be a pleasure if you could come back, if we have questions like this again in the future, if that
2: would be okay with yep, you. Yeah, definitely. Goodbye, mate.
1: If you want to be part of the community where you find such luminaries as, as Stuart, you can join our Telegram channel and be part, of, be part of the Admin Admin Podcast Telegram group. I think we've got some other bits and pieces that we need to cover off. So, for example... Dave does our, our audio production, so thank you once again, Dave, for for pulling it out of the bag. You you really rescued us with the last with the last show. Thank you very very much for that. I'm sorry about all the extra work we caused you on that one. Jerry, do you want to do want to mention the list of patrons? Seeing as, as you're so good at this.
0: First, I'd like to thank Dave Lee, who also produces the podcast. Uh, then we've got Andamo, uh, Maha, Andy, Mike, and Yannick. Thanks, guys. You're awesome.
1: Indeed, thank you very very much. I've already mentioned about a Telegram group. If you've got specific feedback you want to give us, uh, you can find uh, Al, Jerry, and I in the Telegram group. Uh, but if you want to contact us by email, our email address is mail at adminadminpodcast.co.uk, or you can find contact us links on the website if you've got any questions that you want us to answer much like Al's questions in this episode in fact um, you can contact us by email or in the telegram group with your, with your question uh, or you can direct message it to one of the one of the hosts and we will try and answer it in one of our next shows so with that i think i think we're going to wrap up this show so uh, once again Stuart thank you very much for being part of this show it's been an absolute pleasure Bravo. and so uh, with that i think uh, i think we'll say goodbye so goodbye
0: bye hello no. Um...